attention. Our most glorious majesty, King Bruno the Questionable, son of Olaf, the loud, great, grand nephew of Emperor Otto the Bent, conqueror of Fredonia. Past Grand Master, Royal Lord of Lands, Victor, Saviour of Wales. Hi, this is Steve, aka at AllAnthar on Twitter, and here are some more of my gaming vexes. We're here once more to bother your ear rolls with our reflections on games we've played and why the pleasure of running for others. If you're a first-time listener, our mission is to share our experiences with a whole range of different tabletop RPGs. My personal goal is to try and play or run all the games I've purchased in hard copy. Believe me, this is no small undertaking, but as the saying goes, if you buy it, you play it. Lucky for me, I'm more than ably assisted in this task by a fantastic group of people. When you listen to this podcast, I want you to feel as though you're sitting with us as part of our group, reminiscing about the great times that we've had. Although the podcast title refers to vexes, you'll find that we're rarely grumpy about anything much. We try to be positive about the games we play, although sometimes we have thoughts about how we might do things differently were we to revisit a game. This is supposed to be fun, after all. We've had a bit of a slowdown in gaming over the summer months, hence the long delay since our infamous old school versus new school episode. I don't want to get to the point that it feels like a chore to get these episodes out, so they'll only appear when we have something to say. I repeat, this is meant to be fun. That being said, we've got what I hope you'll find to be a lively discussion about a series of Morkborg, or Merkburg, or whatever, that we ran through recently. The campaign in question was The Masticator Gate by Philip Reed and Skeleton Key Games. If this is something you intend to play, I warn you there are a lot of spoilers in this episode, but let's be honest... There's so much more board content out there, you've probably got a whole shelf full of alternatives anyway. Thanks to Neil, Rick, Ian and Howard for taking part in this episode. Unfortunately, Matt couldn't join us due to scheduling issues, but he was definitely there in spirit. So, get ready. So, uh, yeah, so we're going to have a bit of a chat about our uh, game of Mortborg, uh, or Mookbuy, or however you... I'm going to just call it Mortborg. That's it. Fair disclosure. Yeah. I've got a Birmingham accent. Pretty much anything I say sounds <laughs> wrong anyway. So, we'll go with that. So, joining me this evening, I've got uh, some of the players. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit about yourself, Twitter handle, and can you remember the name of your character? I can, yeah. I was I was Marikane in Mortborg. Uh, yeah, I'm um, Ian at Fenris Games on Twitter and pretty much everywhere else online, basically tweeting about stuff that we make for gaming and also about the games that I'm playing or wanting to play. Free advertising space on this podcast. Exactly. Don't worry about that at all. Yeah, feel free. <laughs> so yes, I'm Howard. Uh, I was 
Well, I thought I was Marocaine, but I think what happened was <laughs> I think what happened was I was Vic that became Marocaine. Exactly. I think we I think we swapped heads part part way through. So yeah. Marocaine's mine. Hands off. <laughs> uh, I was really Spug. Spug was my uh, kind of my main main character through the thing until he sadly perished, and we'll may, maybe touch on how that happened later on in the podcast. Absolutely, so. we'll talk about the lethality of the game as uh, as we go on. Neil uh, Spamal Satsima on Twitter, and I played Grolsch, the heretical priest. It was also was the, the the guardian of dog, or rather, dog God, was dog. Yeah, the best character in the game. He was definitely the MVP. Yeah. Right, I'm Rick um, at Lynn Tillers on Twitter, and I play Dracul, who was a fanged deserter. Who, um, towards the end, was a bit unfanged, as I recall, due to a fumble yeah. role, but that's another story. <laughs> and during the the series, we also had uh, Matt so at Clownfist uh, on Twitter. And I've got a bit of, of input from him as well. So he's, we've got his thoughts, although he's not here, but he's, he's here in spirit, gone but not forgotten. Yeah, so Mork Borg, it was one of those games that sort of came out of left field, really. I mean, I suppose it's one of those games that people have opinions on, I think, probably because it's got a very strong visual style. Well, certainly the, the colour yellow is strong in its uh, in, in the way it's presented. I mean, did we come into this having any sort of preconceptions or thoughts about what it was going to be like to play in this game? Yeah, so as I saw, there was, there was an article in The Guardian back in 2020 and saying, mm. you know, this was the, the saviour of lockdown. But the way it was written, it made it sound like all the characters were going to be playing heavy metal music all the time. And that, that was the focus of the game. So I thought, that, that's a bit strange and thought no more about it until we actually came to play. So, so that, that was my my preconception that it was, I was, I was all about death metal. I was kind of the same. I'd, I don't know if I'd seen the same article, but I'd seen something saying it was a Swedish death metal RPG. So I was expecting something that was kind of going to be trying a bit too hard and somewhere between adolescent and pure oil and a cross between Cradle of Filth and Napalm Death or something. And of course, it wasn't any of that. But yeah, back the kickstart and just never got around to, to doing anything with it because it was part of the, the uh, lockdown pile of doom. Yeah, I mean, Napalm Death, one thing. I mean, Cradle of Filth, not so much. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> I mean, I bought it because like like a lot of people, you know, it's just one of those things you just bought in lockdown and it was pretty yeah. and shiny. And I was just, I was taken in by the, the cover art, really. But I thought it was going to be a bit of a one-trick pony. Yeah. Um, probably a little mm. bit superficial. That may or may not be the case. We'll find out towards the end. But certainly, the, I mean, the music part's quite an important thing because obviously the creator of the game has got a playlist on Spotify, which is always updated, which is all, you know, black metal, death metal, that sort of stuff. And we'll probably touch on some of the third-party materials out there, but I've actually got an album, a record, which is a, a campaign set, which essentially is, is all the music for Mortborg things. So I think there's a lot of interplay between different types of media in it, but yeah, interesting. Yeah, so uh, I think I read the same article that, that Neil did. Um, Real Guardian readers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I was kind of taken with it, and I think partly because so many people on social media were kind of declaiming it, saying that it was a one-trick pony, that it was, you know, only for infantile people. Well, given that I counted myself as pretty infantile, I thought, well, that's that's right up there for me. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely an aesthetic. It's 
aiming for. It's not quite the zigzag Sputnik of RPGs, but <laughs> it does set it, you know, it does set its stall out pretty clearly. And it's obviously playing on that Scandinavian dark doom metal kind of thing. And as you say, it's got its own soundtracks and colour scheme. I think Gulux now has a Morkborg yellow in its range. So <laughs> yeah, so I, so I had played it once at a con, so I kind of knew what I was getting into. Expected it to be dark and deadly, a bit random and horribly unbalanced but going to be fun. And and so I kind of went in with eyes slightly open. I didn't read an article in The Guardian. Which is... <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, went... yeah, I, know, I, know, I know. But it was, but yeah, and I didn't actually play it like Howard at a con. So it was, I was a little unsure. I mean, I actually, I had the book also, but I, it was also that thing. It was trying to dig through under the flash on the surface and think about, okay, so you've got, there's this stuff, it's kind of scattered around, it looks great. Is there anything actually underneath it that's going to work? Or is it just really just a, um, just something that looks nice? Is it good artifact in itself? And I mean, the, the rule book, oh my God, is that is a wonderful artifact. It's a great thing to have on the shelf. Is there a mm. game underneath it? So I was kind of playing it to find out, really. Almost like playtesting it. Mm. You know, did it look yeah. the height that we'd all heard? Yeah. yeah. Well, I've never played it. I've only ever run it, but uh, I certainly hadn't got any experience. So it's just one of those things where I'd purchased it, and it's a it's a lovely book. It, it's quite pricey, I think it's fair to say, mm-hmm. uh, but it's lovely. Well, I know that the, the the makers have actually put out a bare bones edition, which is free to download, which is just the text. And actually, I just use that now because it's it's great. It's got a very strong aesthetic, but it does make it quite hard to read sometimes. It's not a different story, <laughs> is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah glasses. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it feels like you need a sort of 3D set of glasses to... Uh, yeah. But yeah, but great artwork. What Matt talks about is he liked the idea of a grim doom metal fantasy setting. It's a WFRP, War Fantasy Roleplay, turn up to 11, yes, please. So uh, yeah, so I think we went into it with expectations, really. The system itself, we, we played uh, over Foundry, as sort of almost all game, well, my game is anyway nowadays. The Foundry system is is great. Uh, it does an awful lot of the, the work for you, but it's, it's got just enough in there to make it relatively easy to play. So in terms of the, the system, what are our thoughts about that? I thought the rolling for attack and damage at the same time and the, the defence and armour mm. at the same time worked really well um, because that, that seemed a bit strange. Mm. But once we got into that, it made the combat so quick, which yeah. it, I think it probably needed to be because when you're starting out, most of the time you're not doing any damage because you're rolling like a, a D2 or a D4 for damage and the enemy's got a D4 armour. So there's a good chance you'll hit but not do any damage. Yeah, so all, it, all the roles are, are player facing in that. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's, there's a very little role that the GM has to do, which suits me down to the ground. It is a, a simple system, so it's only got a few characteristics. Yeah, it's got strength, agility, presence and, and toughness. And there are no skills. So it's very old school in, in that approach to things. So from my perspective, a lot of the interaction just all seemed to default to, to presence really you know if you're sort of talking to, yeah. talk to npcs and that's so, because so, i felt we were rolling that a lot of the time yeah it was nicely stripped down in in a lot of places mm. but i think it was you know almost too stripped down like you say in some places where you wanted it to feel a bit more maybe even a bit more swingy a bit more crunchy you know it it, mm. it certainly worked and it felt m- nice and messy and chaotic in combat but you also felt that i mean part of the aesthetic i guess is that you're you know, you're not heroes by any stretch like we, you're used to in, in something like 5e or even in OSC, you know. It's it's not that kind of aesthetic at all. Mm. 
other bits of it, I thought, so the same kind of stripping down, I thought worked really well on things like encumbrance, where you would just mm. number of items determined by your, your strength rating and things like that just took a lot of the crunch out where it wasn't needed. But it felt sometimes, like you said, Steve, like there wasn't quite enough I suppose the other side of it is because you haven't got a whole set of skills, you rely on the role playing. Then actually, yeah, and we, yeah, yeah. we did a lot of that. You know, there was yeah. a lot of that involved. Especially yeah. well, you have to when you've got one hit point. Exactly. Well, the system was light. I thought thought it did everything it needed to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess the only crunchy bits were, as you said, um, when it came to encumbrance and mm. nutrition and water. Of being mm. quite important the idea that death comes easily i really like and uh resting is difficult resting should be difficult and yeah. you do feel like you're out in the middle of nowhere basically you've got a, a pack of lard to gnaw on and some dirty water to drink yeah. and that's it or granddad that's luxury yeah. <laughs> yeah. or granddad or <laughs> for this winter that reference um, to granddad so, yeah, may, may come back so later in the in the <laughs> so then we, need, we, think we need to clarify exactly what that was about so that's yeah. yeah so for me it, i thought it really hit the sweet spot in terms of the weight of the system i don't think it really needed much more we'll maybe touch a little bit on the character classes in a bit Mm. because that's the one thing where i do have a bit of some small misgivings but in terms of how it runs it's exactly the kind of thing that i would be okay to run because it's not that complicated we didn't feel like we were looking up in the book or anything a lot of the time to find out how things worked and it gave you enough leeway i think steve to be able to make a a call on the fly and we all ran with it so the system itself as you say it's a d20 system and you add a stat to it whether it be strength agility toughness whatever and you're trying to get over essentially to reach a difficulty rating a number of so it's usually 12 i think everything like this gets compared to old school essentials doesn't it because that's sort of like the the sort of you know the touchstone really as far as this stuff goes now i mean for me i i actually preferred this system i just found it eat i mean i have run old school essentials in the past not a long series of campaigns so i did probably haven't really got to the grips with the rules but i just found this a lot easier really but that might be a, a probably a personal thing really i'm sure i'll probably get beaten up for that at some point <laughs> i mean my character drackle had quite a low presence we did hamstring him for quite a lot of the interactions because presence mm. seems to be the thinky stuff bucket pretty much yeah. and it's for everything and that sort of because he was had a very low presence it, there was all kinds of things it was actually very very bad at you know which isn't a isn't a bad thing but i think that could be a weakness in the system in that kind of that statistic has to cover so much so it's um you can be disadvantaged a bit if you uh if you have got a low stat in that the rest of it yeah i think it worked really well and also of course foundry made it made the whole thing so much easier as well yeah the one click generating a character from scratch is really going to be Scummy fires, little little button on the boundary <laughs> system. Just do that, and it would uh, it would re. So although your characters died an awful lot, it was it was one click to replace them, wasn't it? So it's uh, it's, it's pretty good. So did you want to talk about the character classes then? Uh, there, Howard, because you've got a bit of a, a, an issue or yeah. sort of, you know, point so, to make about those. So the character classes are, are brilliant. Don't get me wrong; they are very evocative. The artwork is superb. You get a real sense of what those character classes can do. I guess the issue I have is just that they felt a bit narrow and a bit too specific. So once you've played a fang deserter, it's kind of, okay, do you really want two fang deserters in the party? I guess what I would have preferred is something that is a, something that's a bit kind of fighty, but you roll on a table 
and there's you know half a dozen options of one one of which is the fang deserter and each yeah. one of those has its own special little things now obviously that makes the book bigger but it just makes long-term play a little bit more variable and yeah. a little bit more interesting because otherwise you should end up using the same because the artwork is there and it because it's so perfectly picks out what you imagine that character class to look like it's difficult to imagine a fang deserter looking any different yeah. so once you've played all the classes and, and yeah. believe me i did play all the classes because i kept dying <laughs> um it's like well, okay well i've done that now now what happens if i go back to the start it's almost like they started with the artwork and worked backwards um, the real missing thing i think is like like you're saying now it's just more variety in in classes you know like a, a supplement just of character playbooks mm. i mean i know on the internet you can get about yeah. you know two two or three thousand extra ones yeah but at it, least it, if it, not it, just, it just felt like they missed a trick and maybe well, it, there should have been a you know another book that just had new character classes in it yeah. that's really my only problem with it the the character classes in the rules are, are optional so you can just create a player character what they call a classless it's a classless character or a classless warrior mm. or something. So you can do that, but you don't get all the, the feats or the, the slight differences that you get with actual character classes. Interestingly, with Cyborg, which obviously is a, an evolution mm. of this, there's much more choice of PCs in the main book. Okay. So, so it, how many uh, how many different types are there in that then? Oh, off the top of my head, I, I don't know. But I, I was just, you know, I was aware that reading that after we played Mockborg, that there was there was just more choice in there and more differing archetypes than, than yeah. in the main book. So I'm just looking through the, the bare bones rules, actually, because it's easier on the eye than the actual book itself. I really liked the powers. I like the, mm. the unclean yeah. scrolls mm. and those sort of things. That was um, one of my favourite bits, yeah. Yeah, because I think that's one of those sort of a miscast on that was what happened, which yeah. caused two of the characters to swap bodies. So I think, you know, it's pretty unforgiving as much as any time you make a roll, there's an opportunity for things to go really badly wrong. So like in combat, if you're rolling a, a, a one, you are you know, you're losing your weapon, which happened on multiple mm. occasions. People just, yeah. You know, all they've got was a bit of a bit of bone that we're using to beat someone to death with. Then they'd roll a one and that would get lost or broken or whatever it might be. So I think there was always opportunity for things to go terribly wrong for your characters. You needed omens. Yeah, you needed things, really, essentially yeah. like hero points to try and offset some of the horrible mm. things that could happen. The good thing about omens, though, was it wasn't a guaranteed success. So it wasn't, no. you know, mm. it was a, here's a chance to avoid certain doom. But it's a it's still only a chance. You're still flipping a coin or rolling a die. So that was nice to have. And yes, we did need them. And we never had enough of them. And it's definitely a game that you need a large party for. I think yeah. me and yes. me and Howard found out that the hard way. <laughs> it's, well, we did. We did. We, we were all learning, weren't we? So I think it was the first time we didn't have so we had, I think we had a party of five all the way th- yeah. through, pretty much. Um, plus, plus small dog who was that? It was a force oh, of nature in and of himself. Yeah. But yeah, so I think you went into Bloodborg, Burya, whatever. Uh, just two of you, and I think it went horribly, horribly. I think just you think everybody died. I think at that yep. point. Oh yeah. yeah, everybody died. Yeah, yeah, and I think it was only Neil's character survived by not. Yeah, being there. I, 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 that was his wise move. <laughs> I think I didn't get through the portal or something like that. And That's right. Yeah, survived. Somewhere. And ran away yeah. with the treasure. Although I think actually, yeah, from Matt was saying, his character survives the whole scenario. So Matt's yeah. character was what was Matt's character? Vlund. So he was an Oh Vlund. No, Vlund was the guy. So Vlund was an occult herb yeah. master. Um and his ability oh, yes. was that so every morning he could basically brew up a couple of uh, concoctions yeah. and it would either be utterly useless 
or entirely saving the whole party. I think with this game, we talked about balance earlier. I don't think there is any balance in the game. It's no. just, you know, you go, there's, there's a shoot of horribleness. You just stand at the top of the shoot and then you just go down and you just have to make your peace with everything you encounter on the way down. <laughs> Sometimes your character will survive. Uh, oftentimes they won't. I think as long as you go into it expecting that. There's a real sense of humour built into the game. I think you, you can't go into it seriously at all. It's... Uh, it's, it's just hilarious. My character nearly died, but was saved through illiteracy. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> he actually was, spoke, was actually tried to read a scroll. There was a fumble. He missed it. It would have actually done him damage, but it's only when we realise actually he's illiterate, so that's fine. He's not actually dead. <laughs> yeah, grasping at straws, very definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was the sort of that sense about the rules themselves. But the, the rules themselves, are, as with all these games, are... They're fine, they're standalone. I think Mookbook has got a really strong, we talked about the aesthetic, but the, the background itself, I think, is really good. I like the sort of, the, you know, this whole thing about this horrible dying world in which everything is essentially is it, it's all going to end and so as you you encounter these miseries that sort of come at period periodic instances but the scenario or the, the, the campaign that we played was something called the masticator gate which is again one of these things that i kick-started way back when it's by uh, skeleton key games someone called philip reed published it what do you think what were your experience of it it's fantastically atmospheric i'm particularly with with the illustrations of these horrific environments that you go into the castle made of blood and the fiery hand and then a horrible village and it just seemed to to escalate as we went along that it sort of started off as quite horrible and then got and then got much much worse i mean i was unconvinced as to how effective a series would be because again thinking about you know we'll go going into this thinking well actually has it got the enough to hold the attention over a series i think we played it probably about 10 sessions it's, it's quite a lot really mm. i mean the structure of the, of the series itself was that you guys had turned up in this area in the hinterland really in the middle of nowhere uh, and there's there's no real explanation you, you're just there and you have an encounter at a place called bleak mill with this this horrible what do they call it something cherub i'm trying to think what it's called now um, the Gatesborn Cherub, which is this weirdly distorted little angel creature. And the idea is that it's been vomited out of this, this horrible demon, the Masticator Gate. And it's come to warn you that this, this thing is coming. And then you sort of essentially, after having these prophetic dreams where you, your characters see three different places, you're then sort of let loose to try and stop the doom that is due to, to overtake the world. Um, and so you've got a, a, a nice little hex map. You know, which you spend time wandering around, getting lost, encountering horrible things. There's a little bit of that going on. And then you've got these three sites. So as you say, you know, Bloodborg, which has got this this castle. You've got the, the burnt wilds where you encounter crazed cultists in this ever-burning forest. And you've got this village called Underfork where a bunch of inquisitors have, uh, have essentially started to terminate the populace, trying to drive out a demon. You play through those three central locations and then you have this encounter with the Masticator Gate at the end of it. So pretty compact. Uh, but plenty of, of fun to be had in there. Yeah, so I think for me, I, I was always of the opinion that it would only really work as a one-shot, but actually it does support that slightly more extended play where you've got some you know, some linked locations and there's, there's some problems to solve and you do feel like you're on a bit of a, an arc, a kind of a narrative arc. It's not just something pops up and you have to kill it and then something else pops up and you have to kill it. So it's not really a sandbox, and it, it's not quite a railroad. It's I don't know a, a rail box or something. But uh, um, but I love like the recurring themes, like the 
the Gary, the guy with the hat who turned up. The red-hatted merchants. Yeah. Although yeah. I do think we should have killed him right at the start. I think that would have solved the problem. He would always, uh, always going to come back. No matter how many times you kill him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and as um, Rick said earlier, we definitely need at least three characters to succeed at any of the things. One thing I would say is, although running away is always an option, and in old old school games, that's always an option. The problem is that you couldn't actually succeed without going past some of those mm location so at some point you had to kind of man up and, and have enough firepower to get past say the cultists once you've been in through the mouth was it the mouth we went through or something or we got absorbed into something um and we but you needed enough kind of beef to be able to get past them to be able to get on to the next thing so some of the things you do need enough characters or have progressed you the characters enough or have enough extra items or scrolls or whatever to be able to succeed. But uh, other than that, no, really enjoyed it. It was very atmospheric. The artwork in the book is top-notch. And the fact that you presented that in the foundry was just great. That really helped to kind of kind of stir the imagination or, or trigger the imagination. So The place where you, I think, the two of you met a lot, met your doom with the, the Blood Borg. Like I say, it's very, very evocative. So it, the text uses for this is, uh, a newly formed demon has awakened a malevolent entity from its slumber. A living fortress designed to drink the blood of the world. A blight has overtaken the region. Vile zealots have been drawn to the fort, hungry for a feast depravity begets depravity i think that last phrase probably describes an awful lot of it (laughs) (laughs) yeah we certainly became more depraved as as the adventure went on god yes Severed hands were definitely a theme, weren't they? They never... really were, yeah. It's very odd in that way. So, you know, obviously we were, well, we tried to be quite sensitive about how we dealt with things because the the, the nature of the, of the the source material is so very, very horrid. It was yeah. easy to be creative in that sense. So you could just make, I mean, a lot of, well, some of it I just made up. I went on. I'm not going to say which bits I made up because that would make me sound terrible. There are some things <laughs> in, in the book and there's some things I made up and I'm not going to say which one's which. But I thought what was really cool was that so each of these three locations that Bloodborg and um, you know that the burnt wilds and, and the, the village the underfort the village of the inquisitors at the end of each one you had to meet a demon yeah. and what's really cool is that there's a set of cards which mm-hmm. are for each demon and it's got the the demon's head the demon's torso and the demon's sort of you know legs or the form of uh, locomotion if you're playing this in person you could then deal the cards out and so every time the demon would be different to start with yes you i think you got absolutely mullered by the uh, the demon because you're only at starting characters uh, but i think by the end you'd progressed yeah. to the point although progression isn't always a thing in what in fact you can actually get worse as your character survives longer you can lose hit points and lose abilities uh, i think actually that last encounter was relatively straightforward so there is you know you, you do get better as you go along that was one of the nice things about the whole scenario I, I missed two or three sessions out of the nine or ten that were involved but because of the episodic style of the scenario and partly because of your gming style as well dave it just it never felt like you'd missed too much or that you couldn't catch up very quickly mm-hmm. but like howard said it was in in a lot of ways it felt like a one shot but a one shot that was episodic so you got all those mm. points that you wanted to hit of a plot but stretched out over 10 seconds so it didn't feel it, it's almost like a palette cleanser between real you know between sensible gaming and <laughs> what are you saying <laughs> that's kind of the, that's the whole point of the thing you know it is a one shot but it's a one shot that you can run for a while if you've got the right yeah. scenario i guess mm. i was gonna say it's got almost got that five room dungeon set up 
to it, haven't mm. it? Because you've got the three sort of key locations. You've got your sort of starting point, which was, you know, when you had your the prophetic visions and met this, this horrible Gatesbourne cherub. I think it was an exploding cow at that point as well for some reason. Anyway, it's a bit weird. <laughs> um, and then you've got the sort of the final, uh, the final encounter with the masticator gate itself. So, but I think that was, that was probably enough, actually sort of five yeah. sort of locations. It, it, it made a lot of sense. It felt, again, going back to the analogy of the, you know, the sort of palate cleanser or the, the non-series one shot, it felt like when you used to just, you know, you'd go to a video shop on the Friday night and get two proper films and a, a straight-to-video schlock horror kind of thing. <laughs> and you watch that one after you've had a couple of beers in between the, you know... The like like They Live or... Something yeah, like, like Brain Dead meets Jabberwocky or something. <laughs> <laughs> Sharknado. So there, there were bits where we we were kind of faced with decisions, and uh, mm. some of this may have been stuff you made up, Steve. But like the point where you have to choose whether to buy the cultist masks, the bit where you decide which of the paths to take to go up the, through the valley and up towards the, uh, the castle, whatever it was, and it did feel a little bit kind of choose your own adventurey in mm. places. And but it would obviously be interesting to know retrospectively to look behind the curtain and see, well, if we hadn't bought the cultist masks, what would have happened? If we if we had killed the red-hatted merchant, what would have happened? So it, there was enough in there that we didn't feel like we were being railroaded all the way through it, that some of the decisions we may, we were making were meaningful in the sense that we were just going to die a different way, but it was a, <laughs> still a meaningful decision nonetheless. So, you know, it wasn't just a, these are all different ways of getting to the same place. Yeah. So I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. I mean, I think, you know, there's a, there's a sense of railroad because so you've got the, end, the starting um, encounter, so Bleak Mill, then you've got those three main sections which you can do in any order, then you've got your final encounter. It's, yeah, it was within each of those three locations, I think, we felt... Yeah. But, but we potentially had some decisions that made a little bit of difference, but maybe that was just naive. But the stronger your characters were, the better they were by that, that final encounter. So mm. the final encounter, again, I'll put the introduction, there's loads of spoilers in here. Basically, you get chewed up by the Masticator Gate and bits like get lopped off, like you might lose your eyes, ears, legs, as you're being sort of chewed up by this demon essentially but the better you are so the, the you know, better decisions you make earlier on the longer you'll survive the better you're likely to likely to get the more likely you are to actually survive the end of that so i think of you guys that went through i think it was only rick's character that no, came out I, I died somebody oh, you died. yeah no it was, it was neil's character wasn't yeah, it? So yeah. I think yours is the only one that actually came out in well not one piece because i think you ended <laughs> up with because those bits that get chopped off you and chewed up they get replaced when you pop out the other end literally the other end of the masticator <laughs> uh, or you get vomited up or whatever it is yeah to your point Howard you're not bystanders you know you actually have mm. some agency in this whole thing what do you think Rick any any thoughts on the scenario itself oh I loved it I thought it was great I don't know what um, Ian means about it. it's actually a long one shot because you do it does have that feeling and you do have sort of the, okay right there's these locations we're going to go to so i mean it is fairly clear fairly clear what you're doing but it was just the atmosphere was really good all the way through right from the beginning where i think the first thing was it was like the farmer told us there's this huge i think it was a cockroach 
dead cockroach has been washed up by the river and we're going to have dinner we haven't eaten something this good for ages do you want to join us and that was the first interaction we had with people Uh, and it was just downhill from there and i spent a lot of the time thinking i'm a horrible person (laughs) what i'm actually (laughs) considering doing at this point that's your character it's not you it's your character (laughs) (laughs) thanks steve but we all know (laughs) but no it's just oh god but it, it was because of that it was truly wonderful it was really atmospheric really made the really made the system work as well particularly things like food and so on which were quite surprising on a on you know, relatively small rpg the fact there is actually some really quite good uh sort of procedures in terms of hexes and moving and it is mm. difficult and it's dangerous and you're constantly looking have i got enough food and water so it's different from um other popular role-playing systems where basically the travel is just a boring thing that happens in between fights yeah I, I have to be really aware of that because as a gem i tend to just rush i tend to go forward I, you know, I, you know <laughs> let's go 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 so i think with, with games like this and, and other games where actually there's a bit of value to taking your time and, and sort of mm. you know not making your players step through it, but really, okay, let's follow the, the process here. Because actually a lot of the fun comes out of the process. So it doesn't it didn't mm. feel onerous. It always added something to the experience of play, in, in, to, to my mind anyway. But yeah, in terms of atmosphere, so I think I might mention so when I when I pick up Morkborg and I always think of that film Jabberwocky. So that mm. sort of the, the mm. hidden gem you know the, the other monty python film wasn't really a monty python film because i think i just got the sense that like everywhere was grubby everywhere was a bit horrible you know nobody was very nice you know i mean you encountered people fleeing from the inquisitors and they'd you know, they brought granddad along you thought oh that's good they're helping no they brought granddad along in case they ran out of food because you know at least <laughs> at least you know it was it was rations that carried themselves you know so yeah. and like, things like which is just like yeah, fresh meat not to be sniffed at <laughs> exactly, exactly so i just got a sense of you know that, that whole it's, it's a te- it's a terrible world it's all going to go horribly wrong and it's just in which case you know what way is it going to go wrong before the before the end so that's that's what stuck in in my mind but again it's that it's that black humor i think it you know certainly the way I, that we played it and the way yeah. I, I ran it that i hope that came through but i think you need to have a part you know a group of players who are all on the same page yeah. and i think we were we were from the outset really mm. so matt said yeah so matt's highlight was ambushing some brigands uh, and you do that by burying yourselves in the shallow graves of the brigands' victims and then emerging later with the contents of the shallow graves to scare the brigands and then slaughter them. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was that was Matt's highlight. I don't know. The encounter at the uh, the ford or the ferry was, was definitely um, great. Also being killed by five hands. Just, just <laughs> the fetid hands. The fetid the, the, hands. I was ambushed by five fetid hands, and it was yeah, just. The, the, the I should cult. be able to get rid of these very easily. Oh no, uh, I'm dead. <laughs> so in in the, uh, the the ever burning woods, the cultists there would go around there chopping their own hands off, which then sort of became animated and be called became fetid hands. And I think your character Rick had, had a pet hand. Yes. Andrew Palmer. Very, it was it was actually it was a magic item where if you put that's right, if you put one one glove over your hand, you could actually control another hand that had already been chopped off. So a bit like a bit like it in the Adams family. 
so it was sort of crawl crawl along and you could basically so it was great because my character was got perched on his shoulder just riding riding along and uh yeah he was he was like him and dog were like two yeah. extra characters that tell i mean he wasn't as good as dog i mean no one's as good as dog dog was great Dog was amazing. I think that's uh, that uh, item you got. I think you got that again with this red-hatted merchant. But didn't you have to pull one of your teeth out? Probably. Stop, that yeah, was usually yeah. what happened. Yeah, something horrible, like, you know, oh. an eyeball or a, tooth out, or a <laughs> finger. That was another one. I was collecting little fingers. Oh, didn't we collect them for some other people we'd recently killed in order to actually... It's, it's that <laughs> kind of game. Yeah. <laughs> Ian, any thoughts about a, sort of a standout moment for you? Uh, it was, it was probably the because because Marocaine, my starting character, this this kind of hermit who I envisioned as a kind of decrepit, older age version of Widnail, with, with his kind of spitty little fags and you know all, all his uh, scrolls and spells scrunched up in his pockets, like a monster of receipts from the shop. Yeah, so he he would his only way of casting spells was from scrolls, and and two or three times they were really useful. We kind of dispelled a huge monster at mm. one point. Off one mm. of them, but then trying to repeat that, he he basically brain swapped with with Howard's character. <laughs> so I, I played Howard's uh, second character, wasn't it, Vic? Um, yeah. For the, the campaign, and and you were stuck with Marocaine. So for me, that was a, going from a one hit point useless permit to a, a halfway <laughs> decent fighter was was quite a good one. But, but Howard relished the opportunity to role play, didn't you, Howard? I so did, was... I did. I nearly died so many times <laughs> <laughs> on the verge of doom. Brilliant. I think it was there were so many thoroughly horrible things that happened mm. during the uh, the series uh, that were uh, hilarious fun. But uh, I think one thing that stuck with me was was the description of something smelling like a yeasty bed sore. It's <laughs> yeah. just so horrible, <laughs> and you can't get that out of your head once you. No. That was that. Which creature was that? It was, was the Ian there. Duncan Smith monster, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the, the penumbral scum. Okay, so that was a particular creature that did look a bit like Ian Duncan Smith. You know, <laughs> oh, if Ian Duncan Smith is listening, we apologise. But he did. No, we don't. You, or you? We like, really don't. Or you <laughs> like a penumbral scum? Let's just say that. Well, I mean, either or, either or. The description is: yeah, they smell like a yeasty bed sore. That did come from the book. And I did a pre, and in fact, I think that really sort of set the tone for some other stuff that came down the line. But their ability was they just insulted you. If those insults hit home, then you became a little bit sad and you were less effective for the rest of the combat, which is quite. Briefly, just on your you, one of your, the questions you said before, and was you know would we play it again? And and absolutely yes. But what I've found interesting, kind of sideways from this, I don't know if you guys have spotted them, but they've. They've done spin-offs from Mortborg and recently just finished on Kickstarter from Cyborg. Think of Forbidden Psalms, which is like a skirmish miniatures version of either Mortborg or of Cyborg. But it's it's narrative-driven skirmish with miniatures. Kind of the best of Mortborg. It's stripped down even more almost, you know, so you can still do that kind of weird campaign stuff, but with the with the grossest miniatures you've got in your so collection. Is it, is it like Nasty Frostgrave? Yes, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, it's that kind of thing. So you can <laughs> a scenario and you get your band of five or six horrible miniatures and, and fight against each other. It's, yeah, it's a nice little system. There's a huge amount of potential, I think. Yeah, in that yeah, yeah, there, really? yeah. yeah. No, it's definitely something I'd play again because it's just it ticks all the right boxes. So I've got the putrescence regnant, which is the music 
based mm. scenario and it's really cool because the oh, great makes great radio but the, the gatefold sleeve is your gm screen so it's got it all in there so which is really really good in fact, i I use some of the music during the when we were playing uh, this game because it's, it's so good uh and recently i've there's a one called sump which is basically i think it's the undead swamp or it's it's another again node based series type thing but i think there's a lot of potential to it. i've run it as a one shot so i ran one of the scenarios out of heretic which is one of the sort of the official supplements yeah, for it but... great fun at a one shot and again you know you go from naught to 100 miles an hour like you do in any any con one shot but people yeah. really get into it it's light enough that you can do stuff on the fly but it's got enough depth that you can you can spin it out over multiple sessions so are you guys sort of prompted to either run it yourself yeah i, I definitely play it or run it and i play it as a one shot i play it like we did as a mini campaign i think there's there's one area that i still might want to investigate and that's where you don't just play an extended one shot which is what this was but something where you kind of investigate the law of the place it's a bit more black than yellow so if you look at the book mm-hmm. it's black and yellow if you play it a bit more like the dark places of the world and every time you have a location it doesn't try and out gonzo the previous one you play it a bit more straight if played using the kind of generic character generation bit i think there might be some mileage there I- I might be wrong, but it, I'd be quite interested to to see how that might work. It's one of the um, reasons I want to run Cyborg because it does it does do that. It's a it's a bigger book than Morkborg, mm-hmm. more content, you know, more kind of background, more character classes, and you know, potentially more oomph for doing a bit more campaign run rather than it, mm. it's still got that same idea of the world's coming to an end, and there's you know there's events in the news broadcasts every day of, of the world basically disintegrating around you. Bit like real life um, then. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but with, with uh, you know, with, with built-in razor blades in your hands. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I think what you think about how it sounds like more like a almost like a Dark Souls type aesthetic to it. That sort of yeah, oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But investigating some of the things that are kind of mentioned in the book mm. about the different locations and mm. how you might do a bit of a I don't know a city crawl in there or mm. um, kind of. A, maybe a wilderness thing as well i don't know I'd, I'd be interested to see whether that's a direction they choose to go in or whether yeah. it's just something that um i'd maybe want to kind of do a homebrew thing for but yeah uh, interesting because i mean the system itself you could use obviously the yeah. system straightforward yeah um, absolutely it's just the character classes which lim- seem to limit it a little bit i think beyond mm. that it's so light and so easy to port i think it would work pretty well and the foundry version of it is superb. It really is. Mm. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. It's free. So, like, it's it's not a paid-for version. So it's just one that's they've put together and they've made it so that, you know, all the item, everything in all the content is in there. Right. Uh, and there are some good modules that you can import third-party content as well. So, yeah, I think it's got everything you, you need from that perspective. Yeah, I'd definitely play it again. I mean, I quite, mm. I quite fancy playing the pirate version because I think that that has potential for being equally horrible. <laughs> yeah, I think definitely play it again. You do need the right players. But I think if they're, if they're willing to run with it, it's a lot of fun. Really definitely is. definitely recommended yeah so i think on that note i think we're done thanks very much guys cool. thanks very much for playing thank you Cheer, no, thank you, Steve. Right, and thanks, thanks very much for your time on the podcast we've gone to the masticator gate by mistake <laughs> <laughs> oh my god Thanks for listening to another exploration of my gaming vexes. If you've got any thoughts you'd like to add to what you've heard here, or a gaming vex of your own you'd like to offer up for discussion, you can contact me on Twitter at Allanthar, or you can leave a voice message. 
The link's on the podcast webpage on Anchor, or can be found in the show notes. Until the next time, may all your games be free of vexatiousness, and be excellent to each other, always.